0: Greetings and salutations all you sportsmen and women out there and conservationists across New York and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from snowy Maple Springs, New York. That's right, sportsmen and women. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. You can get this podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and free beacon and free radio, I should say, and beacon and pocket casts and so much more, and, of course, Anchor.fm. Hey, please help support this podcast by donating to the cause a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford, as it helps me push back on the propaganda in the news while also giving to you sound conservation news and commentary, and uh, along with sound science and conservation principles. And, you know, speaking of commentary, this is my show. It's my opinion. It's my commentary. It doesn't necessarily reflect any official positions of the organizations I may be a part of, But if it is an official position, I will let you know about it. Hey, folks, please spread the word. And you can also pick this podcast up on weloveoutdoors.org. Go to that website and hit the podcast page, and you can uh, get the latest podcast through Spotify there as well. And, folks, you know, we got uh, opening day that just came around on this past Saturday. Uh, You know, it's a... a heck of a tradition that we have, you know, getting out on that Saturday. And uh, down here in the southern tier, we had snow in the hills. Uh, the snow fell actually the day before on the last day of extended archery and crossbow. And I did manage to get out and, and, and do something there. It was uh, about five inches of the ground, uh, five inches of snow, and, uh, you know, about 25 to 26 degrees when we got out there. But it was a great hunt, had a good time. Uh, I did as walking in, I saw uh some black bear tracks, not a very big bear, but it was definitely a nice bear walking through. He actually walked right under where my tree stand was. Um, I saw three does at around eight thirty uh in the morning, and uh you know I did hear more shooting than uh I have in a number of years in the last three or four opening days combined that's It was a a pretty good morning with uh the hunters that were out and shots being taken. And around 9.30, I ended up having a uh, a buck of a lifetime walk in, and I ended up getting a shot. And uh, I managed to to get myself a nice big nine point, and uh, I'm really absolutely thrilled about it. So I had a good opening day, and I I really hope everybody else did. I hope everyone was safe out there, and we will see as we start uh, rounding out this uh, season, seeing how things go. Uh, you know, it, it's it's wonderful to to see the snow flying, and uh, you know, it it's just a a blessing to be out. You know, I'm hearing that we're gonna have some more mask mandates coming up, and all these crazy things. Uh, but, you know, nothing like deer hunting and nothing like opening day in the regular season. You know, I was hunting with a friend of mine, and, you know, a couple of friends came down, other friends, and uh, we shared some stories. And that's really, you know, really what the hunt is all about is, you know, the tradition and the camaraderie. Uh, while we're engaged in that pursuit of the white tailed deer and doing the management on behalf of the people uh, while getting great, wholesome food, but the traditions and being out in the woods and seeing things like bear track, I didn't see the bear, but that was really an amazing thing. Uh, seeing the three does walking through the snow, uh, you, you know, you can't, you can't replace that by sitting on the couch. And, uh, you know, even though it took a couple hours to drag that big deer out of the woods, uh, it was well worth it. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to uh, share some steaks and uh, share that bounty with some of my friends and family. Anyhow, we got some good news going on around. You know, not just the uh, the hunting season. You know, we had a recent press release that was issued by the DEC that had a snafu in it. Uh, The regular season runs through the twenty the twelfth of uh, December. It started on obviously Saturday the twentieth. Runs through December twelfth, and the extended archery and muzzleloader season commences the day following on the thirteenth, running nine days until the twenty first of December. The presser that they released errantly listed the dates uh, for the muzzle over season to start a day later on uh 1214 running through 1222 so please adjust your uh information accordingly uh, that actually that muzzleloader season runs through 1213 to 1221 and then of course we have this uh holiday hunt that's also going to pick up that's the last 7 days of the year apparently uh, you know extensively or extensively, I should say uh 1226 day after christmas uh running through uh january uh 1st and, of course, you know, we've also got the waterfowl season that opens up this Saturday. The The second split of duck season in the western zone opens up on the 27th and runs through uh, January 2nd. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting uh, Christmas and New Year's period. We're going to have a lot of choices to hunt, uh, you know, so it's, it just should be a lot of fun. Um, There was also another announcement that came out, uh, you know, for you women out there, uh, you might find this of interest. Uh, The DEC has a workshop series called Becoming an Outdoors Woman, and uh, the latest in the series has been announced in the Bow series, as it's called. It's called Bow in the Snow, which will be held in Allegheny State Park at Camp Allegheny, running from February 4th through 6th of 2022. Uh, the registration for this looks like a three-day event if you count four, five, and six. Uh, you probably get there in the afternoon and you know, you get details when you go ahead and register because you do have to register. Uh, that three-day event, um, the registration is already open. It opened up in early December. Uh, well, actually, this is November, so it opens up in early December, um, and, you know, there's want you to get you on board you know there there is a limited uh class space you know that's it's limited by the size of the you know the camp there and it's a pretty good sized camp but uh you want to you know you get down that early Uh, Because the courses that they're going to be offering is going to include Nordic or cross-country skiing, fat tire biking, winter capping, snowshoeing, food preservation. They're either going to have some ice fishing and canine first aid, plus much more. And it does sound pretty exciting. Uh, Again, more information will be coming out soon. And, you know, as we get more information uh, here, I'll certainly provide you some updates, uh, you know, on the next podcast, I hope. Also, uh, DEC is announcing that the State of Lake Ontario meeting will be virtual and held on Thursday, December 2nd at 6 p.m. via Webex. Uh, Unlike the typical State of the Lake meetings, you know, this is obviously changed because of COVID, 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 uh, the DEC biologists this time around for this meeting, they're only going to be answering questions from interested anglers and other stakeholders. Uh, as they've gone out and they've pre-recorded seven presentations that have been published. And they're, they're asking you to, to check out these publications, review all seven of them, write down any kind of questions that you might have on it so it's a, a more efficient uh, back and forth. And uh, you know, since you can go ahead and, and look at this anytime, uh, you know, they do want you to, to get this before the uh, December 2nd uh, WebEx, but you've got a couple of weeks. Uh, You can sit down and and, uh, get this done. Um, You know, to view these presentations, uh, you can visit https colon backslash backslash or forward slash forward slash www.dec.ny.gov slash fs slash programs slash press slash Lake Ontario Fisheries. Uh, you can also view the press release by landing on the DEC and searching for press releases. That'll take you to uh, the the uh, dec.ny.gov slash press slash press slash press, easy for me to say, dot uh, html. And uh, you can access the, the state of Lake Ontario document there. Uh, very good information, and anybody who is interested in uh you know this uh, uh this meeting they're going to have uh you know obviously prey fish uh state statuses and bait fish statuses uh what's going on in the lake uh from the biological standpoint and you know get your questions ready And uh, find out what's going on, and um, you know, see what plans they may have for the next steps. Obviously, there were a lot of changes on Lake Erie or Lake Ontario, rather, due to the last uh, couple of years of flooding. That seems to have subsided. So, get a good update on that. And again, uh, that's going to be held on uh, December second, twenty twenty one. You know, we've also got finally. Uh, there's this kids' super fishing clinic that's going to be held on the last Sunday of the upcoming Greater Niagara Fishing Expo, which is slated February seventeenth through twentieth, twenty twenty-two. This kids' clinic's going to be on the twentieth, and it'll be a hands-on, interactive event for ages. Uh, 7 to 15, uh, along with their adult fishing companion, dad or mom or friend, etc., who will be bringing the, the youth along uh, this year. And uh, you can bring up to two ch- two kids uh, with you, so that's a good thing, two kids per adult. Um, it'll have a teach, uh, teaching fishing to kids curriculum, which will consist of a logical series of stations manned by fishing experts to properly educate each adult and their youths. Uh, the attendees will learn the basics uh, from the ground floor up, including uh, a number of different things like knot tying and casting and, and uh, where to fish, uh, you, you know, what type of tackle to select, etc. It's it's going to be a really good time. Uh, but the, the clinic's going to be divided into eight sessions, and they're going to be 15 minutes a session uh to make the sessions short enough to keep the kids attention but you know providing a quality learning experience on that subject matter for them Uh, most of the sessions will be hands-on learning so uh, up to four adult instructors will be teaching and helping out for each session uh hopefully providing a four to one ratio of kids to instructors uh you know free tackle will also be given out to each of the kids uh, you know, there's, there's, I think an 80 seat limit. So, you know, you've got four adults, uh, times, uh, uh, you know, eight booths, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's quite a bit of people. Um, so I, you know, it's going to be good. Uh any event, the clinics uh, will be offered in room three, and they'll be broken up into two classes or two clinics uh, on Sunday the 20th. There'll be a morning session, which will run 9.30 to 11.30, and uh, that'll be up to 80 kids. And then session number two is from noon to 2 p.m., Uh, that it would be up to an additional 80 kids so 160 total uh, students will be out there that'll be great Uh, pre-registration online is required in order to uh, keep the numbers at the manageable levels that they want them to have Uh, you know they want to provide this quality learning experience etc and you know seating is limited so registration will be closed once the classes those sessions are filled, so once we've got a hundred and uh, once they've got hundred and sixty uh students eighty in each uh session, uh that'll be it so uh the registration is open now uh so you know the adults can register and sign up one or two to attend with them. Total registration cost is ten bucks, but only for the adult. The kids that are coming in again age seven through fifteen, they're gonna be coming free and it also includes free admission to the show on Sunday. So, you know, you bring your kids into this uh, this uh, fishing clinic, and you're also going to be able to enjoy the expo for free. Uh, you can register for either the morning or afternoon sessions by visiting https colon slash slash com. Uh, that's all one word, no spaces, no periods, uh, niagrafishingexpo.com forward slash 2022 dash attractions. Forward slash pound sign SUP or hashtag SUP. Uh, I'll repeat that website again. Uh, you can pre register uh, for either the morning or afternoon sessions by visiting HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash Niagara Fishing Expo dot com forward slash 2022 dash attractions forward slash hashtag SUP. Absolutely. Well, folks, I know we're going to be uh you know having a lot of different fun we've got Thanksgiving coming up though know, this week, and I want to wish everybody out there a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, You know, that's something that, you know, we've got a tradition here with the uh, regular season. Uh, It always falls during Thanksgiving uh, week, or at least uh, it encompasses Thanksgiving. And it's a nice break to get out in the woods, uh, maybe in the morning instead of watching football. And I know the Buffalo Bills didn't do a good job yesterday, so maybe, uh, uh, although they're playing at night uh, Thanksgiving Day, Uh, you know maybe you can spend your energy out in the woods uh, chasing that deer around filling your doe tag or or maybe if you haven't dropped that buck yet uh, filling that tag and, uh, you know, eat some turkey when you get home, have the fun with the family in the afternoon, and go to sleep and get up early the next morning and get back at it again if you haven't tagged out. I'm telling you, that's going to be my plan, I think it is, this year. Uh, enjoy a nice Thanksgiving dinner. Obviously, the prices are up a little bit this year, to say the least. Uh, let's go, Brandon, um, all I can say about that. But, uh, you know, it's it's um, just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful week. Hopefully, the, the weather is going to be... Uh, Kind of nice. It's uh, looking at some storms down in the southern tier leading up to Thanksgiving. So hopefully we'll be, uh, uh, you know, all good and uh, not having uh, too much of a snowy time. And hopefully traffic won't be and gatherings won't be too impacted by the COVID, COVID, COVID either. You know, eventually we've got to just let our immune systems get through it, folks. Otherwise, we're going to be doing this forever. Well, folks, you hear that? That's right, the first break of the day is coming up, and uh, you know we're going to go ahead and stretch our legs, and I hope you do the same, uh, but don't go anywhere because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport's going to be right back. Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women, and conservationists across New York State and the fruited plain that we love outdoors. With Rich Davenport coming to you from snowy Chautauqua Lake down in Maple Springs, my southern tier command post. Uh, you know we've got that uh, that that second split of waterfowl season coming up. Uh, that's going to be opening Saturday and. You know, that was a change that happened, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, and uh, I think this is our third year. We're going to have to, uh, as one of the waterfowl guys that I know, uh, we're going to have to endure this earlier start for a couple more years, Uh, but it starts up this coming uh, Saturday on November 27th. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of waterfowl right now, especially geese. They're out here like crazy. I'm um, not sure if goose is going to be opening up at the same time, but it might already be open. Uh, I'd have to double check on that. But on the 27th, there's a lot of ducks out here. There's a lot of divers. I'm seeing them on the ponds. Um, should be a really good opener if it stays cold, and it looks like it's going to stay cold. Well, folks, you know, last week there was a meeting down at uh, Southtown's Walleye. They played host to the Citizens Against Wind Turbines in Lake Erie, uh, better known as Cautile. And this was their first official public information hearing concerning the idea to build a 50 wind turbine uh, wind factory uh, out in the open waters of Lake Erie. And it was, uh, you know, held a sizable crowd at the Southtown's Walleye Association. It started at 6 o'clock. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of concern uh, beforehand as when with the Daylight Savings Time, the, uh, the event that they had created on Facebook actually switched times from 6.30 to 7.30. Even though we're supposed to fall back, it moved forward and uh, we weren't sure how many people saw about it at the last minute and said, wow, it's going to be at 7.30, not 6.30. That didn't, it wasn't a problem. Everybody showed up pretty much on time. We got kicked off right around 6.30, a really, really good crowd, about 60 or so people. Uh, We had five speakers, and, uh, you know, Sharon Trembath was the emcee. It was a a very, very good crowd, and they were very enthusiastic to hear the very uh, different um, speakers and talking about different subjects concerning these industrial wind turbines uh masters of ceremony uh sharon trembath again she's a tireless advocate for cleaning up and protecting lake erie uh and she's like the, like the director de, uh, de facto of cautel um she presented to special guests in the audience including uh representatives from congressman chris jacobs office uh we had some uh, uh, newly minted town board uh, members from the town of Evans, that was Jeannie Macko, she was there, as well as past town of Evans supervisor Robert Catalano. And there were many people that were there that were of boating and sailing concerns, not just the sportsmen and the fishermen and the bird watchers, but they were reps from local sporting clubs, many organizations. We had charter captains. Uh, it was a really good mix, including just residents that live not only along the lakeshore but well within that radius of getting the drinking water from. Uh, Lake Erie and you know we had uh, a number of speakers uh, you know talking about these uh, um, turbines and you know it wasn't a debate. Uh, you know, Sharon made sure to let people know that this wasn't intended to be a debate, as the public debate was already had 11 years ago uh, during the push for a 100-industrial wind turbine wind factory to be installed offshore in Lake Erie, and that was done in 2010, that proposal by New York Power Authority. Uh, the citizens and defenders of Lake Erie uh, did win that debate and it was hands down, and, you know, the, after the last feasibility study by NICERTA, by the way, came back and said that it just really wasn't cost effective and for the risks, no, no real reward, um, they pulled the plug on it. So this wasn't something that we wanted to, you know, rehash again. It's already been, been debated. Uh, we wanted to give information into why this debate was actually lost 11 years ago. Uh, the speaker started out with Jack Joyce, who was a retired uh, uh, Navy man, and uh, he was in the reserves and he spent a long time in the Navy, a uh, small business owner, and he outed the current climate crisis charade as as calling it Chicken Little Pox, hearkening back to that little story of uh, the little chicken where an acorn fell on his head and he thought the sky was falling and he went screaming and screaming that the sky was falling. And he proceeded to dissect the notion that carbon dioxide is causing all sorts of problems. Um, he, he made sure to re- reinforce that the reality of carbon dioxide being necessary for photosynthesis and global temperatures, since the Great Lakes were formed, have actually been dropping, not increasing, as claimed. Uh, the propaganda he has illustrated is effective when selecting a specific recent period of temperature, uh, like the early 1800 measurements, uh, as the starting point. Noting that planetary cycles are far longer in duration than a couple hundred years, not to mention actual actual yeah. Let's say that again. Actual accuracy. Aha! Uh-huh, of the measuring devices and consistency of locations, you know, creating high margins of error um, to the point of being useless measurements. Not a single claim has even remotely come close to coming true since the latest drumbeat began in the early 70s. Yet, to stifle the debate, instead of supporting their own contention, the practice of shutting down debate by labeling someone questioning as a science denier. It really drove home the truly faith-based rather than science-based beliefs that the climate change cadre has held. And it is a chicken little, because they scream and scream, oh my God, we've got to do something, we've got to do something. In 12 years, we're all going to be gone, and we've been hearing that for 40 years. Up next was a charter captain, an aquatic biologist named uh, Dave Adrian, who spoke to the impacts our fisheries would suffer from these turbines and the no-go zones that would be introduced, harming every water-based, Lake Erie-based commerce in our area that we depend upon. Uh, Details of how NYSERDA is ignoring their past work concerning feasibility studies, favoring this new one that they received over a million dollars for as a smokescreen devoid of actual costs, and false claims of benefiting the job market and the lake itself. Uh, Erroneous beliefs that these supporters held, you know, uh, that they hold, um, viewing it necessary to harm the life in the lake to save the planet, without a science-based foundation was also driven home to the listeners, who paid very close attention to the information that he shared. Then Jim Hanley, a very well-known charter captain and uh, host of the Jim Hanley Northeast Outdoors TV show, uh, spoke to the fishing, the spawning areas in the lake, when he was asked about, you know, uh, when the, when a, a Diamond Wind uh, representative asked him to circle uh, where the good spawning areas were in our area, he circled basically the entire area from Erie, Pennsylvania, to Buffalo because he was right, and it, that is whole area. We've got spawning from every species, including the the uh, spawning of uh, of lake trout now being identified for the first time since uh, restoration efforts began. Uh, you know, he also spoke to the that uh, there were the 2,000 shipwrecks on Lake Erie alone, and only 375 of them out of the over 2,000 shipwrecks on Lake Erie had been discovered. And he like in building these wind turbines and their bases, they're doing the same thing atop of the USS Arizona Memorial absolutely fantastic and as a scuba diver he also mentioned some of the detail of the pools that you can see of gray muck and under that gray muck is the contaminated sediment that's still on the bottom of this lake and you can kind of swim into it if you're so brave but stirring it up would uh, you know especially not far from the drinking water intakes would cause significant harm to the community at large mark twichell then stepped up a concerned citizen from chautauqua county and an avid sailor um, he spoke about the disinformation that he's getting from NYSERDA, NYPA, and even the New York State DEC brass out in Albany. Um, you know, these, there's conflicts of interest on town board members who are being elected and they're approving these these uh, projects, and that also happened to benefit them on a lease fee when they have land that is being targeted for turbine placement. Um, you know, He further outlined challenges presented with 94C uh, that created ores and the loss of home rule, and you know how the actual process worked to protect communities, and that was removed because that was the very thing that was slowing everything down. Uh, he also indicated that you know electrical output uh, and uh, you know the wind energy from New York, when he's looking at the independent systems operators, NYISO.com, it's abysmal at best. And he led into the final speaker of the evening, who was yours truly. And you know, I was speaking as a sportsman's advocate and conservationist, my focus was the wise use of our natural resources as to perpetuate them forever. And this is the essence of sound conservation. I brought up the history of the lake, the dark days of the pollution. You know, there's 260 or 362 chemicals that were identified uh, by the EPA. Uh, You know, you've got PCBs and dioxins all across the Great Lakes. There are only 17 of these 362 that were studied. And, you know, additionally talking about the PFAS that's, that's also down there that it's now an emerging contaminant, uh, you know, all sorts of things to, to the new the new pollutions that'll be introduced from bisphenol A and neodymium from the shedding just from the, the turbine blades and the nacelles, the permanent magnets alone, uh, the physical pollution, the acoustic pollution, uh, all of this uh, was detailed. And then on top of that, Uh, Another colleague who is a professional engineer, uh, Mike Boimu, um, he put together a good detailed uh, analysis on the costs of offshore wind. And, you know, we can see that how bad it performs. I mean, you you look at the, the independent systems operator's website, any given day, it's just making up a very small, if any kind of percentage of the output that's done in New York State. If you look at the load that is in New York State any given uh, minute, you know, and this, this up, uh website their real-time energy dashboard, it updates every five minutes. Uh you know, you've got this output that is you know typically falling between two thousand and five thousand megawatts short of the load at any given time in New York, and that's no good. That means we're importing a lot of electricity because load and, and output have to always match. Uh, and load is your base load, your base demand, and then peak demand when it's there. Uh, you have to carry all three. And we're importing so much. And you look at what wind's doing, and it's bad enough. But Mike put together from the Energy Information Administration what the real costs of these things are. And they, the, the EIA, um, it, you know, it actually has a table that compares all the different generating Uh, energy that building those power plants, no matter what fuel is being used, including solar, terrestrial wind, and offshore wind, traditional hydroelectric, nuclear, uh, traditional coal, natural gas, dual fuel, uh, pump storage. I mean, the whole magilla is laid down. And Mike went through and diligently did the calculations. And it was just absolutely terrible. You know, it was determined in 2011 that, you know, this was totally meritless, this idea, when Nipa pursued it. And now New York State is trying to pursue this. And you got to remember that you know, NYSERDA has already admitted when they kicked off their Great Lakes feasibility study, trying to pretend that this has never happened before. Okay, remember that. Keep that in mind. Because they're always going to tell you, well, let's wait for the study. We waited for the study. You know, we waited for it 11 years ago, and we already got the study. We don't have to wait anymore. You know, we do need to look maybe deeper because we have found out a lot more about the wind factories themselves and all the bad that they do. Um, you know, when, when you look at the physical uh, pollution alone, and they don't even want to look at the physical changes in the hydrodynamics. They've been trying to ignore this. And now in the oceans, uh, the Bureau of Oceanic Energy Management is taking and soliciting proposals to study this very thing, you know, in waters that we don't drink. It's probably a good idea to study the waters that we do drink that we already know has pollution on the bottom, and we just filter this water out. You know, they say that they can filter out uh, chemical contaminants nowadays, but that's, that's you know, totally not true unless it's, it's a, you know, a... a particle. It's floating around non water soluble. Once you have something that's so in solution in water, not suspended but actually water soluble, you're not running that through a filter. I mean I I don't think I can take a a, a glass of whiskey and mix it with water and you can run it through the finest filter. I'm still gonna have whiskey and water out the back end, right? I mean it's it's just amazing. So we don't wanna know what that the current change is gonna do and erode and cause re exposure continually of those toxins. You know, so let's just skip over that one, right? Well, when you look at the costs and we know it's meritless, it's a lot worse than that. And I'm telling you, it, it was, it's an absolutely crazy thing to listen to. And we're going to touch on that in the next segment. We're going to get into some detail on that so you know what these costs really are about. Because you're not going to hear it from these folks. You're going to hear it right here. But right now, I've got to take a break. But don't worry, folks. The fastest podcast in history has got two segments now in the can. But don't go anywhere because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back. Welcome back all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Uh, back to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, powered by Anchor.fm, which is powered by Spotify. Hey guys, um, you know, I wanted to, to just go over a few little things here. Uh, well, it's not really a few little things. I wanted to to just bring you the information on the economics and the production realities of wind energy, offshore wind development, and the climate change law, which, you know, they call the the climate leadership and whatever, Protection Act, Uh, that's an arbitrary and capricious wish list not based in science that somehow got passed into law hidden in the budget. Analysis that's being presented by ORS concerning this new technology is actually improperly investigating the plan for the 9,000 megawatts inciting of that of installed capacity of offshore wind generation. Uh, it's presenting a much rosier picture in relation to the actual costs, okay, uh, you know, the, the the Energy Information Administration's report that's entitled "Cost and Performance Characteristics of New Energy Technologies," the annual energy outlook for 2021. So this isn't a mystery; they've been doing this annually, hence you know every year, and found some very disturbing facts. Uh, number one, uh, offshore wind generation carries the highest costs of all renewable energy options, with a total capital cost translating are you ready folks to $5,486 a kilowatt not a megawatt a kilowatt 5,486 bucks this applies to the Atlantic Ocean offshore wind off of New York City and that's part of the mandated 9,000 in megawatts of installed capacity by 2035 uh, in the New York State region or New York City region which is designated NYCW uh, New York City wind uh, if, if you translate out to the full costs of 9,000 megawatts of installed capacity, multiply that by a thousand to get the kilowatts uh, value. So 9 million kilowatts. The cost of this offshore wind factory is approximately 49.374 billion with a B dollars. Uh, this is just actually factoring in the capital expenses to build this it's devoid of accumulated interests it's devoid of the costs of the tax uh, uh, the tax credits and subsidies and tax credits made possible by the production tax credit that we all pay as part of our electric bill etc uh, and it's also before transmission line installation now in New York state upstate offshore wind is not peg to be fifty four hundred eighty six bucks a kilowatt it 's significantly higher six thousand six hundred fifty two dollars a kilowatt or twenty one percent higher than what ors 's number is going to reflect at minimum uh, We have actually an overcapacity and a a better development potential for hydropower, which our cost currently for generated hydropower is around $20 a megawatt hour. Normalized cost for offshore wind energy based on the New York State region estimates pegs the generation cost per megawatt hour of $120.52. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Now, you know, when we factor in labor and we factor in profits, it's going to be six times higher or more uh, when we you know try to pay our bill and again, this is not cost you know, accounting for any additional environmental mitigation costs which are yet to be identified, yet we know there's going to be costs. We've been screaming about it it's going to be costs all over the place. All of this is based on the assumption that output will actually be available. Okay, but we can see from the New York State independent systems operators that the variability and unreliability intermittency that's coming from wind energy across New York State now tells us that the scarcity of this electricity is going to peg as our dependency grows upon wind energy, our bills electric-wise, right through the roof it's going to go far higher than anything you've seen because it's a double-edged sword. We're not generating as much energy from a natural gas turbine, which is reliable and dependable and predictable and controllable, to move it to something that's unreliable, unpredictable, and is going to be scarce all the time. Uh, Yeah, your your cost is going to go up above and beyond to make the money back on the investment of building the darn thing that doesn't work. So for the Atlantic Ocean, the costs of transmission, according to uh, NYSERDA, uh, is going to run anywhere from around $6 billion to $13 billion, perhaps a little higher. And uh, if, if there's an, opt, you know, an optimism factor that's built into that, too. So you can probably add, you know, from that $13 billion, you can probably add another 5 or $6 billion on it. You're going to be looking at, you know, close to $20 billion to build that out. Energy forecasting and planning—you know those demand a little bit more. And when you look at uh, a 78 percent capacity factor for hydro, that means you need to build 100 megawatts of installed power uh, to get and realize 78 megawatts. It's 78 percent. The the capacity value because of the intermittency of wind is is not it's like a quarter. You know, so you need to build, uh, you know, 400. Uh, you know, or, or three hundred megawatts worth of power, worth of uh, capacity rather, to get the same seventy-eight. A little bit more than three hundred. I mean, it's, you, it's building three times the number of plants over that span of of uh, uh, surface area, and it's, it's measured in square miles. doesn't make any sense. Meanwhile, we've got dependable hydro with 7,000 unpowered dams across New York State that was identified in 2015 by the Department of Energy. Heck, we've got, you know, in western New York, we've got this thing called the Niagara Power Project, and they can still expand further. They've got room for more turbines. So it, it can be developed at almost half the price. I mean, it's, it also develops... Uh, you know something that's dependable you know and, and what i mean by dependable um, you know when you ask of one of these reliable these renewable folks um You ask them, you know, what is, you know, I know what your your install capacity is. That's what you tell me that can power up to 2 million homes. You don't tell me about the capacity factor that you actually got to figure out what to build in order to actually what to plan. And that's pretty paltry when you get into that. You're not telling me that. But that's okay. I can understand you, you may not look good. Why don't you tell me what your dependable capacity is? And... They'll tell you, if they're honest, the dependable capacity for wind and also for solar, by the way, is zero because the wind doesn't always blow just like the sun doesn't always shine. So, I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. Now, when you actually look at upstate New York, um, we're looking at a cost of uh, with 200,000 kilowatts at $6,652 a kilowatt. You're looking at $1.33 billion to put up. It's, I'm going to repeat that: one point one and a third, one billion three hundred thirty million dollars to build 50 wind turbines without interest, without uh, your your tax cost of the tax credits, and without the transmission system. And again, this is just purely for economic development, according to NICERTA. It's not part of the mandated folly that came with this uh, uh, climate change law of the 9,000 uh, megawatts of offshore wind capacity by 2035. The Great Lakes is not considered offshore. Offshore is considered the Atlantic Ocean. So, we're going to risk 56,000 good-paying jobs for 1,500 jobs that are promised, but can't be credibly, uh, you know, sustained or substantiated. Uh, But when you break down and you divide 1,500 into the $1.33 billion cost before you get transmission lines to get whatever you might generate to shore, you're you're basically wasting $886,933 per job. And folks... You know, if you're spending almost $900,000 to create one job, you're not in the right line of work. I'm sorry. You can create a lot of good paying jobs for that. Probably a couple hundred, maybe. You know, you shouldn't have to, really? One job? 900? uh, Folly. Complete and utter folly. Now, let's just compare what the output is, Okay. And when I look at the independent systems operators, and you can go and see what the output is every five minutes. And, you know, so you just add up, you know, the five-minute periods. You know, there's 12 of those in an hour. You know, multiply these things out. You can figure out what per hour and, and how the output is delivering against their own capacity. And, you know, wind energy from January 1st, 2021 to the end of October... Now, keep in mind how much money we're spending for this stuff, okay? Um, their interconnect tells them for their reliability, they have to be able to demonstrate that they can generate 30% of their nameplate capacity 24-7, 365. The total install capacity across New York State is roughly 2,200 megawatts. Yet, they spend 235, almost 236 days out of the year where they are generating less than 30% of installed capacity. Okay? They have uh 19.67 hours uh, you know almost a full day where they generate zero. Uh 8 days of less than 10 megawatts, 17 less than 25, 56 days of less than 100 megawatts. But, you know, they they deliver between 30 and 60% about 2 months out of the year. And they actually so far Uh, through the end of October have had eight and a half days where they've actually met what the criteria for a traditional power plant and that 60% of nameplate capacity delivered to the grid 24-7, 365. They managed to act like an actual power plant for eight and a half days. Meanwhile, you look at hydroelectric, and there is uh, one day that it's under their 30% of nameplate capacity, which, by the way, is 5,387 megawatts they spend 166 days generating between 30 and 60% of their 5387 megawatts, and they spend 141 days delivering over 60%. That, my friends, is a power plant. Meanwhile, the cost to build an actual power plant, a hydro plant, where we are blessed with super-duper amounts of hydro, according to the EIA's research, $3,722 3722 bucks a kilowatt. So to put it in perspective, offshore wind in the Great Lakes is going to cost for a 200 megawatt project $1.33 billion. But if we build a hydro plant at the same 200 megawatt or 200,000 kilowatts, it's going to cost us $744 million. 200,000 times 3,722 is $744.4 million, a savings of $586 million, and we will actually get power to the grid all the time. Folks, I believe that Stevie Wonder can actually see all of this. All he has to do is lay it right out. This is the easiest thing in the world to see. You want to talk about something that has no merit, It carries no public benefit and indeed compromises the public trust with all the things we're going to do to these waters of life and the foolish notions of risking our drinking water and our fresh water for folly-filled ideological agenda. I mean, this is... This is insanity on steroids, and if they weren't serious about it, you could actually make a, a parody comedy about this stuff. How does this even bubble up? How do people believe this is a good idea? I can't, I can't fathom it. 200 megawatts of hydropower, 744 million. 200 megawatts to screw up Lake Erie and get nothing in return, 1.33 billion. Yeah, where do we sign up for the funny farm for that one? The only answer, folks, obviously, is to say no to industrial wind turbines in Lake Erie and to say no to, uh, you know, any of them in any of the Great Lakes. I mean, it it makes no sense at all, honestly. So, you know, the next time somebody wants to talk to you about that or maybe somebody comes around because, you know, like I said, uh, you know, there is a, a, uh, a, a campaign going on right now that's, uh, you know, Crystal People Stokes is calling folks, and other folks are using, uh, you know, political call centers and making calls to ask you to support offshore wind in the Great Lakes. Well, you know, you can listen to me and listen to the rest of the the experts. Um, as a matter of fact, Chautauqua Updates was at that uh, uh, a meeting that Cautile had on the fifteenth. And they've got a lot of this stuff, including my, uh, my presentation, up on YouTube. And I've also linked to it on We Love Outdoors under the Cautile section. And as they get more speakers up, I'll put them up there so you can hear it. And you can also download a lot of the documents that, that were up there on, you know that we referred to and, and presented and actually get source information where you can click on a link and see the science and verify it for yourself. You're not going to get that from any of these charlatans and hucksters pushing this into our Great Lakes. Well, folks, i got to take my last break of the day. That's right. i got to take the last break for this fastest podcast in history. But please don't go anywhere because I'm going to wrap this up with some more news. And Rich Davenport will be back. We love outdoors. We'll be back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back all you sportsmen and women and conservationists out there across New York State and the Fruited Plain. And you hunters maybe just getting out of the woods right now. Today is the the uh, first Monday of the season. This would actually be the traditional opener, but in 2005 that all changed and moved it to a Saturday instead of the Monday traditional opener. Uh, but if you were out there, I was out this morning, uh, I did see another big buck. Uh, not nowhere near as big as the one that I that I got opening day, but it was another good-sized animal. It, it would, you know, I'd be proud to harvest at it, get at least a shot at it. Uh, and then I saw three more does on the way out this morning. Um, so, you know, but it was really cold and going to be heading back to town uh, in the not-too-distant. So, uh, anyhow, it's just beautiful. Hopefully, you know, you guys, if you're back in, uh, you're just wanting to tune in. Uh, yeah, I published a little late, and I'm sorry about that, but you know we're in our last segment here and you know dovetailing in and a real nice segue from uh you know the folly of the industrial wind and all those costs and the pollution that could be re, you know introduced and all of that um Honeywell is on the hook for an Allied Chemical mess um and we found out about this uh, on the same day that Cautile had their Uh, They had their public meeting. Uh, The U.S. Department of Justice, Office of Public Affairs, issued a press release concerning a proposed Superfund settlement agreement between the DOJ and Honeywell, along with other parties, to resolve liability of natural resource damages along the Buffalo River caused by Allied Chemical and Buffalo Color Corp., which were taken over by Honeywell. And these guys were makers of dye stuffs and other organic chemicals at a facility along the Buffalo River. The complaint alleges the discharge of process and cooling waters containing hazardous substances into the river from the mid-1960s to the early 70s. With these hazardous substances having caused injuries to natural and cultural resources in and along the Buffalo River, such as the migratory birds, the fish, the mammals, as well as the sediment and even the groundwater. Can you say PFAS, anybody? Uh, That stuff was used to make paints and dyes and all sorts of other stuff. Um... As part of that proposed settlement, Honeywell entered into separate agreements with 10 other entities that were also allegedly responsible for releasing hazardous substances into the river, and the settlement value of approximately $6.25 coupled with an agreement to preserve in perpetuity the more than 70 acres of undeveloped habitat along the uh, Buffalo River, if this court, you know, approves it, uh, you know, would benefit the entire city of Buffalo, including low-income and uh, uh, black and indigenous and minority neighborhoods uh, in historically overburdened neighborhoods that uh, had environmental pollution. Um, The settlement is uh, to restore native species on over 70 acres of land that will be preserved in perpetuity in its undeveloped condition along the river in an otherwise predominantly urban environment. Uh, public access will also be provided to a portion of the shitty si- excuse me, city ship canal, allowing for recreational fishing from the shoreline. The conservation of undeveloped land uh, along the river, including portions of the ship canal, concrete central, and Houghton Park, is valued at about $2 million of the settlement. The conservation portion of the proposed settlement will provide increased habitat, natural aesthetic value, additional trails, etc. for public use. Also included is a payout of $4.25 for the proposed natural resource restoration projects to create natural habitat and access to the river uh, for use and enjoyment of the public, including low, local low-income and minority community members. And a portion of the recovery um, will also be used to fund cultural and ecological restoration programs on behalf of the Tuscarora Nation. So, you know, you've got this wonderful, wonderful absolute garbage pollution that was being dumped into the river and also dredged and taken out you know the stuff as it's you know drifting along this stuff has also got you know in in other things and they've dumped the stuff that's dredged and it was dumped out into the lake there's so much dreck out there. There's so much nastiness, and it's still there and it's still pumping, but under a sand cap, so it's not pumping into our into our drinking water. It's being contained. You look at Lake Ontario. You look at Lake Superior. Anywhere where there's contaminant, contaminated sediment that spoilage that was dredged and dumped, it's over 400 feet of, of water, and that's still being exposed. Um, terrible. We don't want it re exposed here. We got a sand cap, so you know it's it's. This just another Superfund, uh, you know, site. We're going to find more of them. Uh, they're not alone. You know, Superfund is federal, and you know, this is uh, this lawsuit and the settlement was on. You know, the DOJ picked it up on behalf of Fish and Wildlife and also the New York State DEC. Uh, you know, it's you're going to see this across other states, et cetera, As the more we start really digging into the past and who was actually pinpointed as responsible. Yeah, let's re-expose all that. Um, Extended big game season in the Southern Zone. Again, I uh, mentioned earlier, I was set to commence immediately following the close of regular season. And new this year is that holiday hunt that's causing such a stir, but it is officially on. That's going to run December 26th to January 1st, 2022. And, you know, concerns voiced by the snowmobile clubs prompted the DEC to propose a county opt-out regulation. And the process to opt-out, currently under consideration as the comment period just closed on this on November 14th. I'm expecting to hear some news on it pretty soon, but haven't heard any yet. Uh, While it's understandable that concerns could rise over the potential conflicts and safety concerns, despite the fact that small game hunting and fur bearer hunting seasons coexist just fine with snowmobiling right through the end of snowmobiling and beyond without any issue, the ultimate decider is still going to need to be the landowners, not county legislators one option being pondered included suspending the holiday hunt if too much snow is on the ground, uh, and then when there's not enough snow, you know, let it hunt, um, you know, this is one option being pondered, um, and it's an acknowledgement that, you know, oftentimes insignificant snow cover uh, exists, and it doesn't support trail riding between Christmas and New Year's, so that's, you know, a, that's a, a a condition, it's been acknowledged, but you know, the reality that's being ignored is not every parcel of land across any count any given county has a snowmobile trail across it. And while landowners have been deciding whether hunting is permitted on their lands for eons, you know, you could have a few days of potential trail interruption if they decide, you know what, I don't want the trail there, I'm going to hunt. And you're going to tell me I can't hunt? Well, I don't want the trail there, and it's gone through the season, not just seven days. You know, it's a few days of potential trail interruption may not materialize and it's it's another example of a knee-jerk what if while setting a dangerous precedent concerning private property rights proper wildlife management practices and introducing really big concerns and questions about how it's going to be enforced is it going to be enforceable etc unfortunately now if you haven't said anything you can't say anything the comment period is closed so all we can do is wait and see as soon as I hear something, I will certainly let you know, and it'll probably be in the form of an emergency uh, podcast uh, that'll, that'll skip the uh, normal weekly schedule, okay? Um, in other news, uh, the EHD epizootic hemorrhagic disease episode in New York, which lasted a rather long time to a very late first frost across much of New York's southern zone, has been confirmed to have been present in 30 New York counties. And the hardest hit area was obviously the Hudson Valley and the Catskill area of southeast New York um, but you know it, it is now pretty much should be predominantly over. I think everywhere had a frost uh we've had some good snow here uh, in the western southern tier of New York uh, you know I had five inches of snow on the ground it was snowing and it was a there's a little like snow in the air right now uh as I look outside and I look across the lake uh, but you know it's it 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 persisted for quite a long time, and although no changes were made to the DMP issuances in these areas this year, the big game biologists are certainly going to be monitoring the populations and harvest in those impacted wildlife management units pretty closely next, you know for next season. Uh, there are some potential adjustments that could happen if it does seem like that you know the the population really took a beating. Uh, in those WMUs Uh, so we just have to wait and see there is a potential that's the DEC doing their due diligence I'm sure it wouldn't upset many hunters in those areas Um, you know if they saw doe permits cut back next year I'm sure that would be a fine by them Um, although 30 you know counties did have confirmed cases uh, region 9 looks like it was predominantly spared uh, one case was confirmed in Wyoming County, and there were no confirmed cases. Uh, there, were, there were some reports here and there, but nothing was confirmed. Uh, and there were onesie-twosie reports in Erie, Cattaraugus, Chautauqua, Allegheny, and Niagara counties. So, you know, it looks like at least in western New York, uh, we were spared the brunt of uh, this insect-borne uh, phenomenon that, you know, unfortunately it happens uh, when we have a late a late frost uh, and we had you know just perfect conditions that were sustained right throughout you know up to the uh, last week of archery season, believe it or not, um, but you know we were still cutting lawns back in early November folks, and we 're now at Thanksgiving, so you know it 's unbelievable Thanksgiving week, and we just finally got snow anyhow uh we did see the first snow of the season. Uh, We also in the southern tier uh, down in this area had our first winter storm warning issued. Uh, We had four to six inches of white stuff covering the hills in Allegheny, Chautauqua, Cattaraugus counties. The ground isn't frozen yet. A lot of that snow by the time I got out uh, in the woods this morning has been uh, pretty much all but gone. Um, But, you know, the, the, the temperatures are dropping. And even though the water or the 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 temperatures, the air temperatures dropping and the water temperatures are dropping, there's still a lot of fishing going on and you know I can see out on Chautauqua Lake a couple of guys, a couple of hardy souls and boats out there jigging some of the deep holes for the walleye, which obviously runs through the ice fishing season. They don't close till March fifteenth of next year. So you know there are guys that are out there that maybe they're not hunters. They didn't want to uh, get out there in the in the woods, or maybe they already filled a tag and they want to get a little surf and turf, Western New York style. So they're out getting some fresh walleye. But it is dropping, uh, and you know I'm I'm we're expecting that with this wonderful little uh, uh, warm spell and having a such a, a, a Very uh, carefree and comfortable fall period that we can really pay for it this coming winter and have a really wicked cold and a long ice season. And I'm hoping so. Let's knock on wood that we do because I want to get, you know, once we get uh, the duck seasons closed, you know, we got to get out on that ice. You know, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Um, You know, we're going to be talking about ice fishing as uh, you know we get into December, you know, holiday season, and we're going to give some previews on it. Uh, water temperatures are expected to plummet and you know there were uh, some ponds out in Cattaraugus County where I was hunting up in the higher elevation uh, that did have some film ice and some shore ice just starting to develop. I don't expect that's going to last much longer but you know with the water or the the air temperatures dropping at night down into the 20s that can build right back up and uh, you know right now the Obviously, the nights are longer than the days, and they will continue to see uh, the nighttime hours lengthen and the daylight hours shorten until we get to that winter solstice on December 21st or 22nd. Well, folks, you know, it's it's been a pleasure to talk to you today, and uh, you can hear that music coming up. We love outdoors has got all of its uh, episode this time around in the can, and I hope you found it entertaining and informative as always. And I've had a heck of a good time talking to you today and giving you some information that you're just not going to hear in the the mainstream media. But don't worry, my friends. Uh, you know everything's going to be all right. Those wind turbines aren't built yet. Uh, There's more pushback constantly. We keep bringing you more stuff about it on every podcast because more stuff comes out every week. And hopefully, you know, we'll have pretty soon some good news. Um, But, uh, you know, the feasibility studies should be wrapped up uh, and totally announced uh, their little charade in Kabuki Theater uh, by some point in January, February of 2022. And then we can beat on them. Folks, until next week, same back time, same back channel. I'll catch you later.